Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday, and I'm joined today by Bill Arsenault. Hey guys, what's up? Not that anyone in the audience can, I can hear them or anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, wait hello, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the confusion, everyone. This is on uh, tape delay. Are you still movie going with Bill is your main thing for sure? Because I know I still get those emails regularly. But oh, I feel like yeah, yeah. Some, like new gigs since the last time I talked to you. Yeah, movie going with Bill is definitely my home base for writing. And in the foreseeable future, or for this foreseeable future, will probably be my only place for writing. Because uh, I did just today secure a part-time gig. Not writing related. It's it's oh, just okay. it's just to pay the bills kind of thing. But um, uh, the last few months, I did work a little bit with Occupy.com, who I had actually done writing work for a couple years ago. And I came back just to, you know, because I, I always liked the website and I was interested in doing some more columns for them. Uh, I wrote a review for, for Till and I wrote a review uh, for a short documentary that aired on PBS called The First Attack Ads which is a documentary about the first attack ads uh, for political campaigns, which uh, happened to be for Upton Sinclair's California governor campaign. Pretty interesting stuff. And the other uh, little job I had uh, didn't last too long, although technically it hasn't ended, uh, was with the St. Tammany Farmer, which is part of the Times-Picayune New Orleans Advocate conglomerate monopoly thing uh no offense but it is part of that <laughs> uh, they're they're very nice and everything um although I, I always feel inadequate when it comes to actual newspaper work because while i'm confident that i'm an okay writer when it comes to movie reviews okay at the very least and maybe even at the very most i i'm not so confident when it comes to ap news style you know, well, there's also the burden of research on top of just having an opinion on stuff. <laughs> Except yeah, like, yeah, no that's 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 a big thing. You know, no, thank, thankfully, they only gave me like very easy fluff stuff to do. Like, can you interview this one guy? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, uh, I've done interviews before. That's no problem. But uh, still, you get you kind of have to follow certain. You know, like, well, it's a newspaper. You got to kind of write it in a newspapery way, and uh, which is AP. You know, it's like a particular kind of style and. I tended to always write in my own style, so it was kind of like, yeah. uh, how do you, you know, bridge that gap? And it's like, well, you just gotta follow the rules. But uh, it's like teaching a dog new tricks. You know, uh, <laughs> this this dog is way too old for that sometimes. So, uh, but uh, movie going with Bill is still going on. As a matter of fact, uh, I just added a chat feature to it which uh, Substack has um, for all of its publications. You can activate a chat feature for the uh, Android or Apple app uh, where you can chat. It's like a social media type feature. Uh, you know, I can start a thread. People can ask questions, you know, that kind of thing. I'm going to be doing a regular newsletter on Movie Going with Bill uh, every week called The Movie Goer. I've already done one. Uh, I was going to do one yesterday, but I kind of got caught up in some other stuff. So it, it's it's coming this week. Uh, it'll be related to uh, lists, you know, and uh, film lists, end of year, or uh, lists that represent the 2010s in film, you know, that kind of stuff. That's going to be in the next movie goer. And I got reviews for um, 
Uh, oh goodness, I just forgot the. Oh, Avatar two. I didn't forget the movie. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw Avatar two last week, and I and I wanted to write a review about it, so it's going to go up. And um, women talking, I believe. I think that's coming this weekend, actually. And there's a couple other pieces that I'm I'm working on too. One related to uh, some new footage that was discovered from the Morgus TV show, the 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 more recent. Uh, episodes. When I say recent, I mean late eighties, early nineties, yeah. that kind of era. Uh, and it was footage that I had been looking for for many years. I was like, someone's got to have this. And then someone who works on, who um, works with the uh, the Facebook group for uh, Morgus fans. He's a, also a Morgus historian, if you or archivist, and he restores footage and everything. Uh, he was like, yeah, someone was very uh, thank- happy enough to provide me with these VHS tapes, and on one of the tapes was this footage. And I was like, holy crap, you found it! it, it the footage in question is um, Morgus and Chopsley uh, at the Britannia, basically riffing the wacky world of Dr. Morgus, their 1960s movie. And it's not like a full riff, but it is kind of like in parts. They're MST3King their own movie. Yeah, yeah. Basically, he told me the the guy who um, was restoring the footage told me it, it, it it's only like five minutes. Uh, it was like a beginning and an end to the uh, uh, to the episode. That's all they did. Uh, but it's still worth it, you know. I was like, oh no, dude, you gotta share it with me. You know, that's so wonderful. Whenever I get to watch it, I'll uh, I'll definitely write a little mini review of that. And, and I got plenty of other things cooking. It's just a matter of. Uh, time management you know i i think i think you brandon put the rest of us to shame i mean uh you're you're pumping reviews out <laughs> you know so much and and i'm like man i i call myself a professional film critic barely and and you're you're like you know boom 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 you know <laughs> like i gotta i gotta up my uh my output well lately i've been um, trying to drain my drafts box because i got nothing but screeners flooding my house for like weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm probably the one to blame for that because <laughs> I nominated you for the, for the Southeastern film critics association. And I was happy to find out that, that you accepted and they accepted. And, and I think I tried warning you that they send so many emails <laughs> at the end of the year. Yeah. I didn't expect it to be all at once like that. Like uh, it, it's like trying to overwhelm your brain. <laughs> Cause right, it really is right. like, you press play on a movie and like within the two hours of it playing, you check your phone again and it's like, Oh, I got five more movies that I should be watching in my inbox. <laughs> and they don't stop for like a good couple weeks. And you're after a couple years of, of doing this, you kind of, kind of get into a routine where it's like, okay, around late October, early November this year, it was a little more like mid November, early December kind of. But once it comes, like even though you were prepared for it, you're kind of not prepared for it. It, right. it just comes at you. You know, like every year they send me books. They send me like boxes with uh, swag and maybe the movie if they remember it. Uh, they send me like shirts and mugs and all the kinds of... I will say Netflix is um, particularly kind of gross about that. They they really <laughs> smooze you up. They did one for Glass Onion that was... Uh, it didn't include the movie, but it did include... Uh, the box itself was like a puzzle box. Like you could take it apart just like, uh, I guess, a device in the movie. And uh, it, it was very interesting. 
I don't remember if it came with anything that I can use, but uh, it, it came. Oh, it came with a CD of the music. That that was pretty cool. But the rest of it was just you know like a T-shirt or something. And uh, Netflix sent one for White Noise, which hasn't come out yet. I don't. I don't think. And uh, that had a sweater for an old grocery store uh, chain, which I, I actually thought was pretty cool. It was a much better sweater than it was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I like the trailer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, every year, Sefka, you know, just being a part of the Film Critics Association is very fun. And, you know, getting awards DVDs and awards emails and screener links and all sorts of stuff, it, it's kind of humbling. You know, it, it makes you feel uh, very... Uh, uh, if you believe in this kind of stuff, it makes you feel a little blessed, you know, to to be uh, part of a group like this and to be able to watch so many awesome movies. Yeah, and I really, you know, appreciated the opportunity to vote alongside people who actually do this for a living on this kind of stuff. <laughs> and like, I, I recognize some of the film critics who are in the association just from like seeing their name in print around here and in Memphis and um, some other states nearby. And I will say, like, looking at the list of winners, I was actually, like, very proud of what came out of that process. Like, it's a pretty healthy mix of, like, genre movies and kind of typical award season stuff. Yeah, I think this year was pretty good uh, with regards to the the awards list. Some years are a little more, I don't want to say, like, uh, definitely not bad. It's never bad. But I do do think some years are a little more uh, traditional or safe. You know, in terms of what's out there and everything. In those years, I tend to, I, or at least in the past, have uh, thrown in some uh, odd choices that I know for a fact other critics didn't get to see. You know, like weirdo movies that only like a handful of people, out, even outside of critics, have ever seen. Or movies that aren't really movies. They're just like weird YouTube poop videos. <laughs> Not poop, literally. I mean, like, that's a genre. So how do you tailor, like, when you're voting for something like this? Because I, I did find myself changing my, like, list making where, like, I don't know. I, I didn't vote exactly how I would if I was just publishing my favorite movies of the year list. Like, my personal one. So I'm kind of curious, like, if you do tailor your vote and how you decide what is worth listing when you're doing a Sefka ballot. Well, uh, some years are different than other years. You know, it's... uh this year, I tailored it more specifically to uh, what a professional film critic's uh, awards ballot might be. Other years, I'm just like really wild about it. You know, I'm, I'm just like, you know what, this is going to be fun, but I also believe in this list. So I'm just going to, you know, like if I really honestly was picking stuff, I'm going to, you know, pick them. And, uh, and I, I do every year. I honestly want to want these, these movies to win. But uh, some years I do actively get a little more <laughs> eclectic or uh, throw in some more diverse ones. This year I um, I, I kind of went with uh, not traditional or anything like that, but I did have a kind of a criteria which was, okay, these movies had to have been released in some public fashion. You know, it can't just be a film festival movie. Not right. that that's not public, but it's not an official release. You know, uh, it's not like a, oh, it's a streaming debut or it's a theatrical debut or a DVD debut. You know? If it's just a film festival thing, it's kind of like in a 
not, I don't want to say purgatory, but it's in more of a medium place. Like it's still being promoted. It's still being put out there, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, as much as I may love those movies, it's like, you got to wait till the next year. So, uh, or whenever. Uh, so I did that and, um, put those movies aside and I put aside more experimental and, uh, weirdo movies, not aside, but I definitely weighed them a little more, more so against the, uh, the bigger, more mainstreamish movies. And when I came up with my, with my top 10 list that I submitted to Sefka, I tried striking a happy balance between those two, uh, types of movies. <laughs> Uh, so if you, if you'd like, I, I can read my, uh, my, my top 10 that I submitted to Sefka, which will probably be different from my favorites list, though these films will pro there'll probably be some crossover, uh, more than likely there, there will definitely be crossover if not exact on some, uh, ranking level. But, uh, what I selected was number 10, Strawberry Mansion, uh, number nine, Neptune Frost. These are like... The next one is also like a, a weirdo movie, Mad God. It was a stop motion animation movie from uh, Phil Tippett. He'd been working on for a long time. Uh, those three movies kind of represent, I don't want to say full on weirdo because they're, they're kind of more somewhat known in the independent realm, uh, especially Neptune Frost and Mad God. Uh, Strawberry Mansion, uh, maybe a little less so, but it's still like in terms of independent underground film, they're, more well known than all right i gotta i gotta pause you right here okay all three of those movies are in my personal top 10 list for the year oh but like a coward i did not include any of those on my sefka ballot <laughs> that's not that's not cowardly because like I, I guarantee you brandon you saw more movies than i did this year i've more seen than probably like 140 I'm not counting them out. I think about 140 right now, like new releases from this year. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's definitely very good. That's actually a little less than I thought you would. Because <laughs> to me, I always imagine you seeing like two or three movies a day. No, no, no. I mean, if I average out how many movies I watch in a year, it's about one a day. And, you know, a lot of what slows me down is just recording and editing this podcast. Like, I can't be watching movies <laughs> and working on this at the same time. Yeah. And because of the podcast, I'd say about let's say about half of what I watch are older releases. Um, yeah. And the other half are new stuff. Okay. So I watch on average about one movie a day, which if you consider like how much television most people watch on a nightly basis, I don't think is that voracious. Like it's a pretty like, no, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty acceptable, uh, <laughs> pretty acceptable rate. Uh, my number seven was, this is just for the, the Sefka ballot was uh, Kimmy, the Steven Soderbergh movie. Great movie. Uh, great movie. Number six was Top Gun Maverick, which I was kind of half and half in terms of like, is this movie going to actually make film critics ballots, you know, film critic winner ballots? Or is this is this going to be like one of those movies where we just love it, but it's going to be more like a blockbuster. And at the end of the day, people are just not going to include it. It ended up getting included in a bunch of lists. Yeah, and uh, I, I was I was cool with it being included. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna pick it. I love the movie, even if it's got the whole uh, military industrial complex thing going on, and uh, <laughs> you know, recruitment and go America, all this other stuff. You know, and I was like, that's a harmless movie. You know, it's, it's it's fine. It's not saying go to war. It's saying love your uh, wingman. 
<laughs> you know, so to speak. It, it has a fetish for the objects and machinery of war more so than war itself. Like, it's really in love with those planes. It's in love with those planes, but I think it's in love with those planes in terms of, like, them being extensions of the heroic pilots, you know, and are they heroes, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, it doesn't get into if they are heroes. It, it just, it says they are heroes. Right, right. Don't question it. It actively tells you don't think multiple times. That's like his catchphrase in that movie. Yes. Like, oh my God. Think, just do. <laughs> just do. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a, that was more direct than I thought. Oh my God. I, I still love the movie though. It was, it was fine. But um, number five was three minutes a lengthening, which I've actually had at the top of my favorites list for a couple months now. That might change on my favorites list, uh, but it's definitely going to be in the top 10 somewhere. Uh, number four, Michael Bay's Ambulance. Why I ranked it so high on the Seth ballot, I don't really know. Except maybe a part of me was like, you know what? This movie had was great visually. It was really absurd, but it was very eccentric, very uh, insane and uh, kinetic and wild and everything an action movie should be. So maybe if I can rank it a little bit higher on a list in a more prominent professional association list, maybe that might give it some some addition if it if it provides even a whiff of clout, additional clout that it already has, I will have done something really good. I considered that one for um best cinematography because of the drone work is so yeah, over the top yeah. and so in your face. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of the uh, Neville Dean Taylor, but the next oh, generation yeah, yeah, for of sure. that, you know what I mean? Uh, I think, um, let me t- take a look at my cinematography. Yeah, I gave I gave the top spot to Ambulance, so it definitely, <laughs> yeah. I think I gave it to EO uh, in the end, but I definitely considered Ambulance as well. Okay, and uh, number three was Turning Red, the Pixar movie. Uh, number two, Women Talking, which is kind of more like my Oscars pick. Yeah. Although number number one is everything everywhere all at once. That's that was my number one, but I kind of picked that not because it isn't number one, but because out of the uh, options that I considered, I felt like that one was the perfect cross between uh, weirdo type movies, movies that I love, and movies that will most definitely be in the public awards consideration yeah. and mainstream acceptance. Like it, it met all these different across the board uh, labels and criteria. So I was like, you know what? I'm going with that. one. So uh, there's really no set criteria exactly for me. It's mostly like, um, <laughs> this is a funny way to say it. It's like how president George W. Bush made decisions. He went by his gut. You uh, deployed some strategery. Uh, I, uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, what's the word that he used? Uh, preemptive strike. <laughs> I struck, I strike before I got struck. Like, well, wait, that's so you started a situation before anything happened. Did you consider uh, hanging up a mission accomplished banner before you made your ballot? <laughs> oh, I, I already made out the, 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 the font uh, well before I even considered anything. I was just like, yeah, you know what? This list is going to be so awesome. It's going to be so winning. Yeah. I used some uh, shrewd strategy <laughs> in my list making. My approach was a little different. 
I have a top 20 that is like the one I'm going to publish on my website, right? Okay. So what I did was I kept ones from that top 20 that I know either screened very wide theatrically or were sent out on screeners. Because what I've kind of assumed was that all these like screeners are like flooding people's houses for November and December. They're going to be the movies that are on the top of people's minds. So like what movies from my top 20 are going to actually have a chance to be seen by other people. So like my favorite movie of the year, Neptune Frost, Inuo, Mad God, none of these are on my Sefka ballot. (laughs) Like I kind (laughs) of just went down the line and like, picked ones that I, I knew had a chance to like actually oh. make it in some category. And for the most part, it didn't really work out that great. <laughs> but there were a few movies that I feel like I helped boost up the ratings. A little now bit. I'm very I'm very curious now. So I had RRR very high as my number one. Okay. Everything Everywhere, Marcel the Shell, Jackass Forever. Nice. Funny Pages. This is a this is a long shot men, which I enjoy and a lot of people hate. Um, EO, Triangle of Sadness, Fire of Love, and Nope. And uh, now that I'm reading this out loud, I'm seeing that a few of these might not even make the cut for my top 20, personally. But they they are really good movies, and they're movies that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I just found myself getting a little too practical about it, in that um, I probably could have just voted for Neptune Frost, and it would have not really mattered either way. (laughs) And next year I might do it differently. You go with what you know you feel like was best at that in that moment. You know, like, yeah. Uh, I always kind of say this, remind this myself of this, in that um, with reviewing, especially if you're not reviewing in a major newspaper, if you're just you know blogging or uh, podcasting or doing something where you're the the sole editor publisher. You can always change things as you go, or you can re-review something that you did a couple years ago. You know, uh, nothing is permanent in terms of uh, being a film critic. You know, it's not like when uh, Roger Ebert or uh, Leonard Maltin would re- release their uh, movie review books, where it's like here's a whole book of uh, with many blurbs and reviews. Uh, it's like a reference thing, you know. It's not like that where it's printed, it's in paper, it's going to be there forever. We can always go back and write a new article, you know, or we can come out and be like, okay, here's a new rating. I've reconsidered things and it's a place in history and the movie itself. This is my feelings on this. Are, these are my feelings on right now. That's kind of the cool thing of being in uh, a writing field that's very subjective and uh, yeah. opinion based. So, uh, I mean, also, if anything, I'm kind of tattling on myself here because this was a private ballot that I sent to like, what, like eight different people in an email. Um, <laughs> yeah. I could have just kept it to myself and like, uh, <laughs> not, no, it's okay. It gives a nice, myself in public. It gives us a nice, uh, a nice peek into the decision making process of these things, yeah. you know? Uh, and it lets people know that we're also people too. We're not necessarily like gatekeepers or anything. In fact, very few of us are gatekeepers of culture or of uh, films. Like I, I've seen a lot of uh, comments on other people's reviews. Now they, granted these writers are a little more well-known, but I've seen them, seen people leave comments like, Oh, you guys are holding back cinema, the industry, you know, by selecting these, you know, very uh, big movies and, you know, obvious choices and stuff like that. 
And my opinion on that would be a calm the fuck down and, <laughs> and B just because something is more well known than, than something else doesn't mean it's bad or less than or greater than or anything like that. It just means this one particular critic or critics group thought it was of uh, a higher quality and uh, overall and the way votes are tallied and the way uh, votes are made as we're talking about today, it's all, uh, like I said before, subjective. It's all just, you know, it's the George W. Bush way. It's all about... When I went to see it, we were the opening film for South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. I suddenly felt this is why I make movies. It's the magic of cinema. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a, yeah. a shared experience yeah. of laughing together, crying together. Right. It's like an anecdote yeah. for this yeah. existential dread that we are all yeah. feeling. Yeah. It's like if you go on a roller coaster ride, you don't want to go on it by yourself, no. right? Yeah. You yeah. want to be like screaming and laughing. Yeah. So this is what this movie did for us. And it was so nice that when people came up at the end and they were still crying, it was like, yeah. I'm going to call my mom now. <laughs> <laughs> because that familiar, you know, family, the connection yeah. with mm-hmm. that is so powerful. Yeah. Because, you know, it's as an Asian immigrant, aging woman, that you really pass by on the streets every day yeah. that you don't notice. Mm. Who never have a voice. Yeah. It's suddenly giving her such a strong, powerful mm. voice yeah. and discover, my God, we can be a superhero. Yes. You know, they came here searching for the American dream, and it's not always a dream. And then through sometimes the despair, the tragic hardship of life, you find joy and love, and you come through it together. So all that being said about the uh, arbitrary and maybe even slightly dishonest process of making a list like this, uh, I was... very proud of how the results came out. I, th- I think it's a great list of movies, and some very accessible ones, maybe some usual suspects that you would expect in like the beginning of Oscar season, which I think this like sort of regional critic association thing is the beginning of that. And the biggest surprise to me was that something as bizarre and maybe even alienating as everything everywhere all at once has continued to be so popular in so many different arenas <laughs> and has Topped the Sefka list. It is the number one movie of the year, according to all of these critics across the southeastern region of the United States. And then also, it basically just swept all the like other major categories of the awards. So like uh, the, the best director was the Daniels, best original screenplay, best actress was Michelle Yeoh, best supporting actor Kaiho Kwan, uh, best supporting actress runner up was Stephanie Hsu. She she actually lost the top spot um, to yeah. Carrie Condon and Banshees of Inisherin, which actually did really well as well. And I think that's a good indication of the balance the list had. I think Everything Everywhere and Banshees you could single out as like the two favorite movies of the year for that critics list. Oh, for sure. I don't know how much explanation people need of this movie like this late in the year. If anything, people are probably <laughs> fucking tired of hearing that this film that came out in April. It is a metaverse sci-fi action superhero blockbuster type film but it is made on a much smaller budget by 
a pair of music video directors known as the Daniels. Their previous movie, Swiss Army Man, was about a farting corpse with a magical boner. Which was also one of my favorite films of that year. Yep, that was on my top of 2016 list as well. Uh, <laughs> but even so, like, I, I think this is a better movie than that one. And I, I, I would argue they're they're tied. <laughs> for, oh, that's, in my, that's interesting. In my head, they almost are. Like, I think I think they're two for two. The Daniels, yeah. I mean, normally there is like a contrarian streak in me that would want to stand up for their weirder, cruder, uh, less endearing picture. But uh, I don't know. I kind of agree with the consensus on this one. Like, this is a triumph of a movie. It finds an emotional core to their like gross out gags and like kind of Michelle Gondry style, like arts and craftsiness. Oh, shit. Michelle Yeoh, if nothing else, is fucking amazing in this movie. She plays a deeply, deeply flawed woman. Uh, and that is her superpower is that she is the worst possible version of herself and then learns empathy through the metaverse shenanigans that we've seen um, echoed out through other superhero pictures on a much larger scale. And the whole movie is like about her kind of becoming a better person and connecting with her daughter and like sort of accepting her place in the world instead of fighting it um, viciously in every direction and like learning to appreciate the people in her life. And like, I don't know, it's an easy movie to get emotional about in a way that the farting corpse boner movie wasn't for me. (laughs) I I suppose I can see (laughs) <laughs> through someone else's eyes, how that might not be as uh, touching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for me, that's exactly what that movie was, was Starting Man. It, 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 maybe because I felt like Paul Dano's character at times, you know, so I could easily relate to that. Maybe even to the farting corpse of Daniel Radcliffe, too, but you know, I don't think you were supposed to relate to that. You're supposed to relate to Paul Dano. But... Um, Still, I, I, the, the absurdity of that movie, the, especially the ending, which had me in tears, both uh, tears of joy and of laughter, which I guess go hand in hand, uh, when he's being arrested uh, for running away from the scene, although they're, they're suspecting him of doing other stuff, and uh, he farts, and then the corpse starts farting, and it goes through the beach, and then it goes into the ocean, and everyone's watching it. And they're all stunned. And I was like, holy crap. And this is like a, a tender, emotional farewell scene. The Daniels accomplished it. They accomplished the impossible here. They've made something so absurd. It like comes back around from absurdity to tenderness back to absurdity. And it's like a full circle. Going to that circle and to the next level is everything everywhere all at once where the movie is all about circles. You know, and uh, how there's no corner to them. It it just keeps going round and round and round. You know, uh, it's like this uh, this interesting multiverse movie, which that has an interesting aspect to to the film too. In that, there've been a lot of uh, superhero movies doing uh, multiverse type storylines, where all these different versions of the characters come back into one film. Uh, the, the biggest one being No Way Home. Although I guess you could say Doctor Strange 2, and of course now the entire uh, next phase of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, and possibly the DC Universe, based on what I'm hearing from the James Gunn camp. Uh, but that's getting into a whole different discussion right there. It's not that different, because the Russo brothers are producers on this, and they're putting that Marvel money to like much weirder, more um, artistically adventurous use in this one. Yeah, yeah. and I. 
I'd be willing to bet that the Daniels had this idea for the movie like many years ago. Oh, so. for sure. This feels like a million scraps of different projects that have been like rolled into like one big swing for the fences. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I really appreciated was uh, this is kind of an interesting movie to talk about in 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 terms of uh, casting and in terms of choices when it comes to pre-production. It's like with Tarantino. Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, when he went to do Inglorious Bastards, he originally wanted Adam Sandler to be uh, the Bear Jew. In fact, I think he wrote it specifically for Adam Sandler, and I guess there was a scheduling conflict or something, so he ended up getting Eli Roth. And had he gotten Adam Sandler, the tone would have been so much more different for that character and probably for the character's scenes than it would have been if if he had... You know, originally wanted Eli Roth. You know what I mean? It would have been totally different. Yeah. And uh, with the Daniels, they actually wanted Michelle Yeoh's character to be played by Jackie Chan, if I'm not mistaken, in one original or one uh, iteration. So, so, uh, so uh, whatever happened happened, and they ended up casting Michelle Yeoh for the part, which is very interesting because she's made comments about Jackie Chan being kind of a chauvinist pig and. Yeah, she, she may have been joking about that. I don't know. I mean, she's got just as many bona fides as him, as far as like martial arts, like Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, stunt movies, all that, that great like, stuff. Yeah, they've yeah. done some together, even. So I imagine that they probably have affection for one another. But and that was probably a joke that she made, like on a talk show with uh, with someone. But <laughs> I saw that clip. I thought it was pretty funny. I think it was on an old Letterman show. That Letterman. That's who it was. Yeah. So this goes to like. Uh, a movie that's about choices and the choices we make, it came about out of choices or lack of options, you know? And, uh, you know, you kind of have to cherry pick the best ones and you come out with everything everywhere all at once. I would be interested to see the original version of this movie, the Jackie Chan version. I would be interested in seeing that, but it would be an entirely different movie with an entirely different uh, meaning and, you know, relationships and all that going on. Uh, this, it, it's, it's really cool to, to see a, a, a <laughs> and to call this a mainstream movie is a, is a whole other thing. I mean, it's really cool that A24 has brought weirdo movies into the mainstream. Oh, they're excellent at marketing. Like people can like slag them all they want for being like obnoxious with the marketing, but they get butts and seats to see weird shit in a way that like very <laughs> summer hereditary, you yeah, know, like uh, not just Ari Aster movies, but you know just movies by a movie about a a, a lamb child. You know? Even though I imagine this is like their biggest hit to date. I mean, I haven't checked the numbers on that, but it's, it seems like a pretty significant breakout. It feels like it would be, yeah. 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 This is like a get-out situation, you know, in a way. Like a Jordan Peele's get-out situation. That was for uh, Blumhouse, yeah? Yeah, that was Blumhouse, yeah. But yeah, no. Um, the film, uh, you know, I was really excited to see it, of course, I'd, uh, it, just based on the Daniels, you know. They took some time off, and they, they came out with a banger uh, as a follow-up to Swiss Army Man. But um, I, I'm interested to know from you, Brandon. What was <laughs> what was your thought on thoughts on the trailer when it came out? That that trailer was fire. I thought. I mean, yeah, I was just hyped. Like it, it just looked like a significant release of the year. I di- I did not expect the audience to be so there for it. Um, you know, like I went to a fairly packed theater 
which for the past couple of years is a, a much rarer and rarer experience for me. Oh yeah, yeah. And people were like crying in their seats next to me. Uh, I was <laughs> laughing uproariously through most of it myself. And I, I, I teared up during the rock scene, which I believe is like one of the bigger emotional gut punches just because it like calms everything down. And you have time to like think and breathe in a way. Oh, sure. I don't remember the trailer giving you much time to breathe. I remember that being very eccentric and loud and flashy in a way that the movie definitely lives up to. And, and then some. Yeah. yeah. It's it's almost edited like a trailer, uh, which I guess is their uh, music video background where they're just like cramming so much visual information into like every montage. Or uh, just being a movie of your best parts. You know, some trailers are just the best parts. And then when you see the movie, it's like 90% non-best parts. You know, it doesn't live up to the trailer is what I'm saying. Uh, this movie, it's like they, it's like they, they present you with a teaser trailer and then you see the movie and there's more best parts. Yeah. They're like, no, that really was a trailer. That's like teasing you. This isn't just, we're showing you what was the, the good stuff. And then you have to come and watch the crap that's associated with it. You know, it's kind of funny to like, think back, like, what did I think of this movie before it came out? What did I think of it opening weekend? Because, <laughs> you know, that was way back in the spring and yeah. For half a year now, if not longer, I, I don't know how the calendar works uh, mathematically, but like it's it's been a long time <laughs> since then. And in those months since, you've had this really hyperbolic discourse that always happens when a movie is popular in any way. Like there's always just very harshly divided lines now. Like you have to like come out with your take and uh, double down and stick with it as if the other side needs to be jailed for being incorrect. So like. Yeah. You both have people that I think are kind of performatively shitting on the movie as this like empathy machine, lol, so random, like meme humor. Um, and it, it feels like an extension of people who are very snarky about Marvel movies, which we don't really discuss much on this podcast, but we don't also don't like dismiss them, I don't think, as oh, they shouldn't know, be dismissed. often or like violently as like some people do. <laughs> They are part of film, films. So yeah. Talk about. But the movie did kind of strike a chord with people who normally only go to see superhero movies. So like their fandom of it on the positive side has been just as hyperbolic and like overperformative to the point where the Daniels have gone to Twitter to like ask the uh, pro everything everywhere army <laughs> to like calm it down a little bit because anytime someone says anything mildly negative about the movie, it's become this like, point of pride to like stomp out the descent yeah i'll never understand i mean i kind of i kind of understand the uh fanaticism around films obviously i'm a film critic you know i i love movies that's why i got into writing about them i can remember caring a lot about star wars when i was a kid you know to the point of not getting into fist fights with people but definitely to the point where if someone says Star Wars or the word star or the word wars, uh, I'll immediately think of Star Wars and I'll just kind of cock my head and be like, hey, did you say something about Star Wars? Yeah. But it was more in a celebratory manner. I, I'll never get totally people being so vulgar and outright aggressive about the other side of the coin, you know, the other opinion. It's odd. It's like uh, it becomes like so much a part of your personality that like the yeah. mild criticisms of it you take personally instead of like actually like discussing the 
art form itself. Like it's it's like fuck you for not appreciating this thing that's like a part of me, <laughs> which is a right. very defensive position to start in for a conversation. Yeah, it's also a very radical one too. Like if you really define yourself solely on a on one piece of art or franchise, I don't know if that's sad or if that's uh, or what that is really. That there's nothing wrong with identifying with art. Of course, we're not saying, you know, you, you should have, that's, that's entirely what you should be doing. You should be able to uh, express your love of stuff, but it's love, not pure outright aggression. Also kind of the point of the movie too, is like, you're like being Empathy. viciously, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like uh combative about this movie. That's about being nicer to other people, which is very Which funny. is funny when you said yeah. that earlier about empathy machines. You said uh, one side is saying this film is an empathy machine and it should be, you know, fuck that. And I'm like, well, Roger Ebert himself said films are empathy machines. Yeah, that's what I was paraphrasing. Um, yeah, I know. I got that. But, uh, <laughs> I, but what was funny was you were saying that as if the other side, the negative side against the movie was using it as like a, a point of contention. And I'm like, dude, that's exactly what movies are. I think there's kind of a reactionary pushback to the idea that like – all movies should be solely about like universal representation and like no, things being not. nice yeah. and like building towards a better utopian society. And honestly, <laughs> I don't really identify with that. Like I like movies that are about like someone's ugly inner psyche that they're like expressing on screen in like uncomfortable ways. Or a totally different culture that you can't really relate to or sure. can never relate to, but maybe there's something about it that you can find a piece of to connect with right. or maybe an ugly side of humanity or an ugly side of whatever the universe, whatever you want to talk about. But uh, yeah, movies don't have to be, I always say this movies don't have to be anything really. Uh, yeah. They don't, they don't have to be political. Even if Jean-Luc Godard wants movies to be political. I mean, I agree with the Godard take on that, that everything is political. <laughs> Every, everything is political, but movies don't technically have to be about politics. Which I guess boils down, when you boil that conversation down, movies can just be movies. It, you end up getting the MCU. That being said, like it's kind of interesting to me, or at least like encouraging, that people have become so fanatical about something that is so deeply strange as this like i think it is a very wildly imaginative movie and and i haven't felt this way since um sorry to bother you was like a big hit a few years ago where it was like oh people actually went for it and like stuck it through the weird horse stuff in the back half of that and and walked away with a smile on their faces like it's very encouraging that was really cool because that director was making a point with his right film. that is a fiercely political film for sure that was a very political film and he himself is a very I don't know if he's an activist, but he, he certainly I think he did come from an activist background, but yeah, for sure. But that one was specifically more political and had one of those uh, aspects to it than this movie. You don't think everything everywhere is political? It's a, I'm sure there's some politics in it. Like maybe in terms of like you said before, empathy. You know, yeah. maybe everyone should have a little bit more of an open mind about uh, each other and not be selfish bastards. You know, yeah, there's like <laughs> the immigrant experience. There's like the queer struggle. Oh yeah, there's with your, that. With your parents, like, there's a lot of like identity politics, if nothing else. There's also uh, just general selfishness, specifically from Michelle Yeoh's character in the beginning. Uh, not the very beginning. I mean, like when she starts jumping into the whole multiverse thing. Yeah, 
Uh, there's a bit that I really love where uh, she sees herself as this movie star and everything. Then she comes out of it and goes back to the prime universe. And she, she talks to her husband. She's like, I saw myself in another life. It was without you. It was great. <laughs> and she's not even thinking about his feelings. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was like, come on, man. Yeah. But, but it was, it was a good moment because she sold it. I, I believed her when she said that, that she, I love not being with you. <laughs> you know, like I believed that, you know, wow. That was, that was pretty uh, affecting. And this movie has a lot of nice little moments. Yeah. The big moments are, are, are great too. Like when Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Yeoh are fighting, a, that's an absurd thing to, to think about. Jamie Lee Curtis fighting Michelle Yeoh, you know, uh, with she has like a th- like a piece of paper stapled to her forehead, and she's like doing all these crazy action moves and everything. That idea by itself is already weird, is already strange. But then you then get like small little moments, like towards the end or at the end rather, when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, her character, the IRS agent, is. Uh, just sitting on a bench next to Michelle Yeoh, and they're just talking about their recent uh, events in their lives. You know, like I think her character had a divorce or something, and uh, Michelle Yeoh's like, you know what? Everyone deserves love. You know, so do you. You know, she's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's nice when things can kind of break down and take a breath and just talk it out. I think my favorite scene in this movie, if we're finally just talking about the movie, not everything around it. Uh, <laughs> the fanaticism, the aggression, the the craziness uh, in the crazy Twitterverse, as I like to call it. Uh, the, the cool thing about the, this kind of stuff is that when I go to the, the my local convenience store, I'm not hearing about people on one side or the other of this movie. Oh, yeah, it is not real life. Like, most people are like, huh? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I Top Gun was the only movie that came out this year. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're just, they're just like, uh, what? Yeah, yeah, there's a red box machine outside, but they they got movies without Tom Cruise in them. I have no idea what you're talking about. They, they just want to have their big gulp, you know. The, they get it. They understand that this this shit does not matter in regular life, you know. But the my favorite scene in this movie, just to get back, to it, <laughs> is when I, I believe it was when Michelle Yeoh is in the lobby of the IRS building, and there's broken debris everywhere and she's being surrounded by the universe the multiverse agents and uh her husband comes up and she's he gets in front of her he's like everyone stop and he starts talking about empathy and like like i know this is all confusing and weird but you know if we could just take some time to you know you know i know we can work our way around it and i thought to myself like after all this crap this guy's been through in this movie he being estranged from his wife, possibly asking for a divorce, her being disconnected from him, you know, and uh, and all these different things that, that are going around that he doesn't understand because he's not technically part of, uh, you know, he's she's just an avatar for this other multiverse version of himself, and and he's still pushing the idea of everyone just <laughs> trying to understand each other. You know, and trying to pull together, you know, and I, I just thought that was that was both heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time that uh, it almost caused like uh, it was almost like the, there was an episode of Seinfeld where uh, Kramer was like, uh, I think I've hit the nexus of the universe where uh, one street intersects with itself. 
in New York City. I, it's hard to describe, but basically he's like, I think it's, it's the nexus of the universe, Jerry. <laughs> it's like it's almost like that, you know. Just kind of the movie just kind of finds a way to cross check into itself, and uh, uh, I, I kind of like that. I, I like the, the, the what I just described made no sense, really, but I, I think it also makes all the sense in the world, at least to me. I and mean, the movie's aiming for that exact cross section too of like complete nonsense and like something profound. It sounds like nonsense, but it feels very profound. Yeah. There was also a problematic element to this movie. I think maybe we should discuss a little bit among maybe a couple others, but I think there's one that I I remember in particular that some people had had issue with. That was Jenny Slate. Uh, Her character was referred to as Big Nose by Michelle Yeoh. And I think even in the credits, she's referred to as a big nose or something. They fixed it in the credits. Uh, they, they removed that descriptor from her casting. That's, that's like the equivalent of deleting a tweet after the fact. I don't right? think it's <laughs> you think that so? bad, though. Like, cause I don't think the movie's condoning that no, I, I behavior in any you. way. Because Michelle Yeoh starts the film as a bigot and like learns empathy as we've been t- talking about. So like, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's exactly what the movie was doing and everything. But I could see how the credits uh, listing her that way would be like kind of co-signing it. So I, I think it's okay to edit that. <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. And on top of that, I mean, you know, Jenny Slate was probably going with it. She's a comedian. You know, she probably thought it was funny too. So uh, you know, not to say that equals everyone else shouldn't have a problem with it. Or no one should have a problem with it, but it does kind of say, you know, maybe it's okay in this instance, in, the, in this context. If it's in the context of a of a character who, you know, is very, like we said, self-centered and busybody and, you know, on edge and all that stuff, then yeah, it, it makes sense that she would also have these feelings. I do love how close-minded and, like, ignorant and wrong she is about, like, so many things and, like... The fact that she is, like, so terrible at everything is what gives her, like, the power to improve and, like, grow, and that's what saves the day. Like, Yeah, Michelle Yeoh's character, I, I, I didn't really think that she was um, terrible in the sense of she's an awful person. It was more like she, yeah, she is self-centered. You know, she feels like life has beaten her down, and... She's just like up against it, you know, painted in a corner, you know, that kind of thing. But really, it's not so much life has beaten her down. She's beaten herself down. You know what I mean? Like she's let these things get to her. Like closed uh, herself off. And she's closed herself off. Yeah. In in a different kind of way than other versions of herself have or haven't. And she'll learn that over the course of the day. So I, I, I really, she's also like, protecting herself too in like a, a some reverse self-defense mechanism like um she it's like she puts her fingers in her ears like oh my daughter's gay oh, 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 i'm not hearing this you know that kind yeah. of thing she, she's kind of just ignoring it but she knows it's there you know like whenever her father comes in the room she's like oh don't show your girlfriend to her you know to him you know don't mention any of that stuff and uh it's like well you you can't ignore it you know, you're just making this worse by ignoring it. It's not even a bad thing. Your daughter is in love with someone. Why not celebrate that? And of course, it gets celebrated at the end, which I, I found to be a very touching. The whole movie's touching, but I mean, like that that one moment where the grandfather uh, is informed that his da- that his uh, granddaughter has a girlfriend 
And uh, and he goes, girlfriend? You know, and he says it in such a way where he's almost, his voice kind of trembles a little bit, but not in a way where he's hurt. It's in a way where he's proud and he's happy, you know? And uh, that really stuck with me. I was, I was like, but of course he, he could do that. He delivered it so well because he's a great actor, James uh, James Hong. But the, the movie had been building up to this this grand crescendo of uh, empathy, this giant empathy machine that was finally going to kick in. You know, we had seen all these different crazy variations of uh, Michelle Yeoh's character uh, from a, a woman who discovers that her chef colleague has a raccoon controlling everything to the hot dog fingers universe to the movie oh, star universe all these different places car y riff exactly all these different places and um you know it, it crescendos to everyone in her family kind of finally putting the pieces together or through her and she ultimately finding it on the opposite end of that uh which was a few minutes before that bit is when she realize she feels that nothing has any meaning, which is an interesting thing to consider because her daughter, it, her, or a version of her daughter, is the ultimate villain to the multiverse, as it turns out. So it's like she get, she is the mother to the destroyer. So she gave the destroyer the ideas that have led the destroyer on this path of uh, of destruction. And when her daughter gives the variation of her daughter gives her the this philosophical spiel on uh, how nothing matters, so it's okay to be closed mind, not even closed minded, since it's okay to be disconnected from everything and just to believe that there's like be a complete nihilist and everything. She just just completely shuts down. It's like that moment in Inside Out, the Pixar movie, where the little girl is just emotionless for that one moment on the bus. She doesn't feel anything. You know, and they have to kind of reactivate her by uh, making her feel sadness. Michelle Yeoh has this moment where she just kind of freezes and she, like, signs the divorce papers. She, she's practically flipping everyone off. You know, she's in handcuffs. I, I was like, wow, this movie can go from from one side to the other side in a matter of moments, which I guess is life itself, you know, but... But that was really interesting, and that, that was an interesting thing to consider, too, in that she, Michelle Yeoh's character, and I keep saying Michelle Yeoh's character, like, I should know what her character's name is. Her name's Evelyn. Evelyn, yes. Oh, thank you. I always say actors' names instead of character names, because to me, it's like all make ups <laughs> Like, I really <laughs> bother learning uh, the character's name, but, like, uh, Kwan saying Evelyn over and over and over again kind of drilled it into my brain on yeah, the second yeah. watch. I thought oh, he was great in this movie, wasn't he? Oh, the central trio of Evelyn, Waymond, and I forget the daughter's name. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, we're sorry, everyone, about the. I remember her. Her girlfriend's name is Becky, but I can't remember hers. But like Stephanie Shu, like the three of them are all incredible. They are asked to do a lot of very different things throughout the movie, and they're all very good at it. If if I have one regret. On my like ballot, I should have included Stephanie Shu in Best Supporting Actress because uh, even though she was runner-up, it would have been kind of fun for all three of them to win the top prize in those three categories because it's all very deserving. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, and I loved. Uh, I think what I love most about his performance is that uh, uh, his voice 
His voice is oh, so yeah. distinct. Is so distinct uh, across the board uh, in this movie, you know, because it's it's soft, but it's also a little high pitched. You know, just a little. You know, it's not yeah. terribly so, but uh, it, I guess that makes sense. You know, because if you remember him as a kid, uh, kid actor, it was also. I was thinking when I saw him, oh, he's he's older now, and he's gonna. No, he still kind of sounds like that, and I was like, <laughs> oh wow, it's it's him again, you know. And, but here he's saying and doing things that are a lot more grown up. It, it's interesting. It's weird. It's it's like he's not a kid in this movie, obviously, but he has an almost uh, childlike. I don't want to say childlike wonder, but he does kind of have a uh, uh, a more simplified childish, but in a good way, mindset towards sentimentality and family and or what family is supposed to be, stuff like that. He's just as open as uh, Evelyn is closed, you know? Yes, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, Evelyn is more on the opposite end, or at least she's become on the opposite end of that. Even though maybe deep down she wants to be the other side of it, she's her way of thinking is off, you know? And uh there's there's like that bit where the movie starts and she's trying to do the taxes while making food and while checking the surveillance of the laundromat, and then he comes up to her and he's like, uh, "He's like, no, we should talk more. We should be doing this. We should be doing that." And she's trying to be more practical. Like, I've got to handle these taxes. I got to cook the pasta. I got to do this. I got to do that. And he's like, "No, you don't really have to. We can just talk right now. <laughs> you know, like we just right. sit down, live in the moment. You know, um, it's weird. You know, he, she, Michelle Yeoh's character, Evelyn." She's the mother to Stephanie Shue's character, and uh, her character, Stephanie Shue's character, the daughter, becomes the not an evil character, the her variation, her variant, but this still this like black hole of a of a character who's just trying to swallow up everything so that everything equals nothing, and uh, Evelyn doesn't see it at first as like her. She sees it as a problem she has to confront, but not as a problem she created, you know? And then it's at the very end where she kind of realizes, oh, wait, I am her mother. She got the shit from me. <laughs> so it's like it comes back around, you know? And uh, it's it's like a problem with no corners. You know, there's no place for it to stop. It just keeps going and going and going. Uh, and it kind of brings you to thinking, like, well, when this movie finally reaches its uh, its climax, does the circle break? You know, I suppose it has, but there's in, in the end, they're still trying to figure out their taxes. Yeah, it's more like just being at peace with, like, how overwhelming life is than actually trying to solve it. That's ultimately what, what I, th- I think happens, and, and that's fine. Life can be like that, you know, and... Um, what 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 ha- what exactly happened at the end? The, the movie, the camera is, is panning in as uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is talking about their tax. She's, she's she's like, okay, I got the forms. This all looks great. Thank you so much, guys, for bringing all this in. But there's still a few things we got to circle back to. Uh, Evelyn, are you paying attention? And she's like, uh, yes, I am. And then it cuts to the credits. So uh, I suppose everything ended up working well for them i don't think they lost their business or anything i hope they didn't but uh it's it's like what i think i said this in the previous uh episode of this podcast it's like what um orson wells told peter bogdanovich uh, no story has a happy ending unless you stop telling it before it's over the happy ending depends on where you end your story you know after that you don't really know what happens 
I guess we'll have to wait and find out in Everything Everywhere 2. Uh, Evelyn enters the Speed Force, or whatever that's going to be called. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo? Sure. Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Welcome to Basic Fighter Maneuvers. As briefed, today's exercise is dogfighting. Guns only, no missiles. We do not go below the hard deck of 5,000 feet. Working as a team, you have to shoot me down or else. Or else what, sir? Or else I shoot back. So we can't just talk about everything everywhere the whole time. I I, I kind of want to like just single out some other winners on the Sefco list that we were like delighted to see on there. Maybe I'll read the top ten out, kind of like we read our ballots earlier, just to like put some titles on the table. Yeah, these are these, this is the official Sefco top ten. Yes. So everything everywhere, the Banshees of Inisherin, the Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, R R R. That one is a surprise. I was like, wow, number five on the Sefka list. And then the number 10 really surprised me. But go ahead. Uh, number six was RRR. Uh, and then Glass Onion, Women Talking, Nope, and The Batman, which also surprised me as well. Yeah, I, I mean, The Batman's a good movie. It's a very good movie, but uh, in my opinion. But I was like, wow, <laughs> we, we, we awarded it to The Batman, number 10. I didn't know it had such a strong uh fan base out there but you know i'll allow it because the movie i was pushing for the hardest was rrr and i was very happy to see it on here even if it was one below top gun maverick which is a movie i absolutely hated (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean like i don't know i had a good time watching top gun maverick so i'm not trying to defend myself or anything i'm just i mean it's wildly beloved like i'm not surprised to see it on here necessarily i'm kind of curious why you are because it has, it is getting a lot of like pushes for like awards consideration. Well, I I really enjoyed the movie. I, I in fact I loved it, but at the same time, I'm like, did we really want to nominate it for best picture? But at the same time, saying that is also confusing to me because for me to be saying that because this is exactly the kind of movie that I should be promoting because it's it's kind of cinema encapsulated in terms of the origins of cinema, the spectacle. You know, it used to be about, you know, the train coming at the screen, you know, King Kong, you know, big motion picture. You know. It's a Tom Cruise movie. It's huge, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. It's IMAX, you know, all these different things. Does that mean best picture? Depends on what Did you see RRR? Because I think everything you just listed except for Tom Cruise is <laughs> yeah. just as well represented in that movie. I have not seen RRR personally. However, I have seen clips from RRR. And while that's not enough, that is enough for me to safely say it deserves to be on this list. It is an extravagant action film. It is like really over the top. I, I love Indian cinema. I, I, I don't get to watch nearly as much of it as I want to. But I, uh, the, of the, of what I have seen, I think one one of the recent ones I saw was Robot uh, from the early two thousands. Love that and, movie. Uh, yeah, I loved it. it. It was so inventive and creative and musical and fun and weird and had all these different things going for it. So RRR, I'm definitely not just intrigued by. I think I'm past that point. I'm like, I gotta see this because everyone says it's great. Like I've just heard so much buzz. I've read so much buzz, and I've seen bits of the movie, so I know there's something to it. You know, it is pretty incredible, like, 
that this one broke out, I can't really place why this one and not all the other action movies I've seen at Elmwood, which is where all the Indian movies play, and usually to like empty theaters. Yeah, I think part of it might just be that like um, Rajamouli's like partnership with Netflix has been very good to him. Like Bahubali one and two was somewhat of a breakout success, even if not this wide. And then RRR went to Netflix pretty quickly. So it, it is an easy movie to be like, hey, you have to check out this crazy three-hour action film about the beauty of masculine friendship and the uh, <laughs> ferociousness of tigers and bears and lions. Uh, but it is still surprising. Like It's not something I expected to win best foreign language film on the Sefka list, and it did. Uh, and I was just like... I, I don't know that I did my voting correctly this year. Maybe I'll just follow my heart without even trying to game the system next time. But uh, I do know that um, I'm proud that RRR plays so high. And I'm, I'm glad I removed a few more esoteric choices to bump it to my number one. Um, even if I couldn't get it to overtake Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> and your Thetan levels. I just really didn't like how much of Top Gun felt like it was like a, hey, remember the first one? Well, no, <laughs> see, I, I didn't think it was that at all. Uh, I think at first it seemed like it was going to be that way, like when they did the Danger Zone song uh, at, at the very beginning. But then it, it just went away from that and just was its own movie. Oh, I disagree so hard. Like, what about the scene oh, where man. they're playing Great Balls of Fire in the bar? Like, yes, just there remind was, you of the dead dad who played the same was song that. in the same bar. Like, come on. <laughs> some of it was a little, not a little, some of it was, uh, I guess, the what's the right word for it? Thick-headed when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know? Not subtle, thick-headed. You know, there were some scenes like that, that being one of them. I still feel that scene was a little effective. A little, not terribly so but a little effective in terms of uh the the personal stakes in the movie and the character arcs and all that other bullshit but uh, <laughs> no get back to the planes uh i guess i have to watch it again maybe but it, it definitely wasn't simply the imax uh format or the the awesome planes flying and stuff like that that i liked i mean i think uh it was also the the improbable nature of everything like you know, Maverick taking a jet out of nowhere and no one heard it making a noise and then boom, it's just out there. You know, I kind of like it when movies are not just unexpected, but also impossible. Full disclosure, I did watch Top Gun Maverick on an airplane, uh, which is not the ideal <laughs> Dolby surround system rumble seat experience that everyone else was like bragging well, on. I like IMAX, but I'm not uh, someone who's easily led by uh, flashy lights. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I am easily led by flashy lights and big sounds and stuff and colors and whatnot. I think that all that is, is a part of cinema. But for Top Gun Maverick, it wasn't simply the cinematography that got me. It wasn't just, oh, it's big. It's impressive. Wow, look at that. It, it just overall felt like a really good movie, you know? Now, felt... Was it a good movie? I, I mean, that's that's different, of course, but uh, I still feel it, it was a good movie. Uh, is it going to make my favorites of uh, my top ten favorites? It depends. I, I think it might be on the lower end, ultimately, of the year, of the favorites. I think the favorite action movie of the year for me is Ambulance. Yeah, and that one's, that one's a lot more new feeling to me. like And probably more sincere, 
too. And you have that like batshit insane Jake Gyllenhaal performance, which really carries the excitement in that one. You know what my favorite weird part of that movie was? That was it was the one with the the guy who was wearing uh what was it sandals or something? He was wearing shoes that weren't meant for a robbery, and uh, he pays for it by like losing half his body. He makes one false move, and then boom, you know everything goes wrong. My favorite part is when they're having like the Brady Brunch grid phone call mid surgery, where there's like oh. six different doctors all over the world uh, telling them where to make so decisions. Yeah, and then yeah. The, the battery power is going down <laughs> and everything. I think there's just there's just something about those kind of like movies, like the Tony Scott style domino type movie, where it's just everything's happening so fast. There's so much suspense. Your heart's beating out of its chest. It's gonna explode. Yeah. Well, speaking of Tony Scott, I I went back and watched the original Top Gun on that same airplane flight after I watched Maverick, and it was a movie I didn't really care much for the first time I saw it, and I really really liked it on this revisit. Um, and <laughs> and it has this like '80s cheese like pop art aesthetic that like only could have come out of the MTV era, and the way Tony Scott shoots that movie is just like so gorgeous even though it's just as much like flashy nonsense as the new one. And I think like when it came out, it was kind of derided as like music video byproduct as if that was like an embarrassing thing. But I think in a year where, you know, everything everywhere is like a consensus pick for like the best movie of the year. Like, I think we can go back and appreciate (laughs) something like that, (laughs) that people couldn't see when it was new. Um, and, And it really is like a gorgeous little kitsch object that like is only aged better with time. That's, that's, that's a really cool point to make about, uh, uh, not realizing, uh, something, how, how excellent something was or reevaluating it later down the line. Uh, like, Oh, that movie is too flashy too MTV. Like, and then of course you got something like this year with everything everywhere all at once. And then you compare this Top Gun movie, Top Gun Maverick to the original Top Gun. And it's like, night and day kind of like this top gun maverick is of course a different kind of movie it's somewhat in terms of how it's filmed and how it's cut you know it's it's like no we got to go real we got to go big we got to do the stunts we got to do this we got to do that and that's cool but the, the the first top gun wasn't necessarily trying to do that you know it was like well we can just be a story about pilots you know and uh we can still do crazy action, but it doesn't have to be like we gotta go through intense training. We gotta do this. We gotta do that. It's more about hot people staring at each other in slow motion, from what I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that whole. Uh, what was it you said before about uh, RRR masculine uh, friendship? Oh or? yeah, yeah. It's like a very macho film. Um, <laughs> but it's like so macho. It's like basically beefcake pornography. Like, Hanging it, out like, with the boys. Yeah, exactly. That volleyball scene is um, infamously homoerotic. The beach scene in Maverick wishes it was like the beach scene in the first Top Gun. Totally agree. So uh, you, you were talking about foreign language films, RR. Uh, my pick for the top uh, foreign language film, my, the one I voted for, was The Innocents. Uh, the superhero movie with the, the evil kids in it? Is that with the evil kids in it. Well, the evil kid, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That that movie was creepy as hell. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, but it wasn't simply because it's because of its creepiness that I picked it. I think knowing that uh, RRR would probably take it, I gave it to something that I felt was definitely a really great film, 
of the year, but was probably going to be overlooked or overpowered by the other movies. You know, I was yeah. something that was very low key. It had some, you know, bigger special effects stuff in it, but it was very low key uh, compared to the other movies and was also uh, a touch disturbing because it involved kids, especially kids doing bad things to one another and to adults. <laughs> Or by making the adults do bad things to kids, you know, that kind of thing. And the messed up nature of that, you know, seeing kids give each other heart attacks, making their parents stab other kids and stuff, you know, uh, that's terrifying. I haven't watched that movie yet just because I haven't been in the mood to watch something that bleak. I, I think oh. that one and uh, Speak No Evil are both on Shudder and Resurrection as well. Um, yeah. And I keep looking at all three of those being like, I should watch that, but I'm not in the mood to feel like garbage right now. So I'm going to hold off. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm curious, what what did you select for the Gene Wyatt Award? Uh, I selected Elvis, which is what won. Yeah, El- Elvis and Till. Both won. Yeah. We should note that uh, the Gene Wyatt Award is for the film that best evokes the spirit of the South, which I think um, I have not seen Till. I didn't even really love Elvis, but I will say that as an advertisement for what makes the South like amazing, (laughs) (laughs) Elvis is like a pretty good tourism commercial about like the magic of like rock and roll in the South and like, uh, you know, Southern myth making. And even just the one scene of him becoming a superhero during a gospel tent revival as a child, like that is a, you know, an outsider from Australia distilling the south into like this like you know almost like a fetish object that's that's a good way of putting it fetish object i like that i, I really like that descriptive uh term yeah that's, that's really awesome uh i gave this year's gene wyatt to causeway and that was probably an easy pick that was more like a literal pick like the movie's set in new orleans and does a really good job of showing new orleans and making new orleans a character but not being a caricature but that's not what necessarily the Gene Wilder Award is, is about. It can be about that, but it can also be about spiritually what evokes the spirit of uh, <laughs> duh, spirits in the spirits in the, the, the sentence, uh, evokes the spirit of the South. So um, I got to pick three movies. My first one was Causeway. Second was, my runner-up was Broken Down uh, by Jesse, local filmmaker Jesse Cale Williamson. He made a movie about um, a guy who is literally living inside of his car. He's, he's suffering depression and heavy anxiety and stuff, and uh, he's just living in his car. And over the course of the film, he eventually regains his strength and stuff like that But uh, uh, through the community and, and everything. But uh, I felt it was a very powerful central performance and a very surprising film overall. Uh, I probably should have given that one the top spot, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> I did, however, give Broken Down the top spot for Best Actor uh, by Sam Cobain. Uh, that that was a really great performance uh, from him. And the number third spot for Gene Wilde that I gave was Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Even though I didn't particularly think that was a an excellent film or even a altogether... It, it was okay, but it wasn't like something that would make my favorites list of the year. However... It did represent the South. I honestly think it's a better encapsulation of the spirit of New Orleans than Causeway, or at least a more exuberant and fun one. Exuberant <laughs> like, and fun. Causeway is kind of more straight-laced. Like, yeah. that, that's what you would see on a day-to-day 
average. You know, like you go to the snowball stand, you walk down the street, you see a guy sitting on a stoop. It's a, it's an average day in New Orleans kind of thing. Uh, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon is more eccentric. You know, it's right. more uh, ecstatic. You know, it's heightened. You go to the the local convenience store and there's like this weird drug dealer with goofy glasses and this uh, young lady who's still got like a straight jacket on her is walking around. And... I passed by the uh, convenience store she steals the zaps from every day on my bus ride home. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I actually do think about the movie more than I expected to <laughs> just because the locations are so pronounced. Um, and it also made great use of the frost top on uh, yes Claiborne, uh, which is such such a visually like striking building. Um, <laughs> so it makes a very pronounced use of its locations in a way that like, yeah, I, I totally get that one's inclusion here, and I, I maybe even should have done that one myself. I guess the surprising element to me about Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon was that they didn't take advantage of Mardi Gras. You know, it wasn't like we're going to do a parade and she's going to go through it and blah 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 blah. Uh, it was just one night in New or a couple nights in New Orleans, and all this crazy stuff is happening. Uh, and it's very heightened. It's very uh, much New Orleans, but up to eleven, not ten. You know, uh, it's it's a little more dressed up, slightly. Uh, <laughs> that's why I said eleven, not twelve. It's not uh, as high as it can be, but it's yeah, it's still kind high. of a hangout movie, ultimately. Uh, so yeah, uh, that was my number three pick for Gene Wyatt, though thinking about it now, it probably should have been my number one for that award, but, uh, that award is always like an odd one to me because while we are thinking really hard about the other, uh, nominees, that one is like, uh, kind of an, uh, the odd one out. You got to think a little harder about it. You know, okay. In this year, what best evoked the spirit of the South? But what does that mean? Does that mean the bad stuff of the South? Does that mean the good stuff of the South? I suppose it means the good stuff. Why would we be wanting to promote the bad stuff? But you got to take the bad with the good. Yeah, it's like all these different things come up. Yeah, I, I didn't even list a third option because I could only think of two that I really liked and I thought fit the criteria. <laughs> so I listed Elvis and Pearl. Oh, wow. You picked Pearl. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> which uh is a grim movie and like maybe deals with some of the like the christian sex negativity of the region but like i don't think even that one gets into like the full ugliness of you know the region's history so i, I probably would have picked x instead of pearl now not that not, nothing against pearl i'm just saying in terms of spirit of the south if i were to consider those two movies i would probably pick x more so Be, uh i'm trying to think of why i'm just thinking gut feeling going back to george w bush well and that one the alligator actually does eat a person so it's probably <laughs> yeah okay up. well that's that's one thing i mean i didn't list it because i didn't like it as much as i liked pearl <laughs> i just said i just picked one out of the two <laughs> i think i liked x because uh again it goes back to the whole heightened nature of a film how 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 far a film can go in terms of uh not just style but also its own profoundness and when i say profoundness i don't mean like i learned a lot about life and myself today i mean like how much the movie is uh willing to go how far it's willing to go and how how big it's willing to be x might as well have been a musical i think pearl is way more over the top than x i think it's way it pushes itself way further really yeah like my annoyance with x which i think is fine but i didn't love it is just that okay. 
it's hammering at the same 70s grindhouse throwback aesthetic that like every horror movie has been doing since like Rob Zombie started making movies when I was in high school. Like it, it's such an old hat kind of like cliche aesthetic to me now where like Pearl is still doing like a throwback nostalgic um like old hollywood look but at least it's like a um nostalgia that you haven't seen hammered to death in horror films yet like it's at least it has some fun camp to mine there or like x i felt like was going back to like a dry well okay that's a good that's a good take i mean like i i don't think it did the grindhouse thing that much i i definitely could that's true it was in there but the aesthetic but i I felt like it was more the movie was more comedy than it was horror it was still like a like a horror, you know, definitely in that genre. But I took it kind of a lot of it as like a weird comedy of errors. It just felt like it was, it not felt it, it to me. It was very funny. I thought Pearl was funnier. Really? <laughs> or I don't know. I, I'm I not saying it's not funny. Pearl. I'm just saying like I <laughs> I laughed a lot in X out of joy and and legit legitimate laughter. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I should pr- go back and say I actually haven't. Oh, okay. That's why I have not. Aha! That's the key. <laughs> but uh, however, I would agree with what I have seen of Pearl that it has that. Uh, it goes for that that change of pace, the change of aesthetic, like from Grindhouse to like what you said, uh, like an old Hollywood kind of like yeah, like a Technicolor musical almost. Yeah, which I really appreciate when when stuff when horror movies like that change it up. It um it reminded me most of if I'm going to compare it to any movie to um big top peewee <laughs> and how it looked <laughs> it's something about the cheapness of the sets like on the farm and stuff like it just really um reminded me of that That's which funny. is like a movie that um you know you don't see echoed in other works because very few people enjoy it i liked big top peewee i didn't think it was the greatest thing ever but i liked it yeah i, I grew up with it so i can't i got i grew up with it too right I, I can't i can't knock it Looking at some other things i voted on like my choice for best documentary was fire of love I don't know that I would have put that as my personal favorite documentary of the year. That might be we met in virtual reality, but it was the one that I really enjoyed that I thought had a better chance and it actually won the prize. So (laughs) I guess I feel good with that vote too. I picked uh, three minutes of lengthening as my best documentary. My number two was straight to VHS. That was a uh, sort of hybrid documentary film essay on a uh, kind of an obscure straight to literally a straight to VHS movie that was released in Uruguay. It's hard to describe. It's like the movie is about this filmmaker who's trying to unravel the mystery behind this very odd public access movie that was only released on on video in his country in uh, in Uruguay. And uh, the movie itself, the movie within the movie is very weird, but the movie itself the movie proper is also a little you know like it's almost like built like a horror movie it's 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 really strange but uh it was very affecting after i saw it i couldn't really get it out of my head for a couple of days i kept trying to crack the code so to speak i had a uh, jackass forever and uh all the beauty and the bloodshed lowered down my ballot i really liked fire of love though i don't, I don't know if you saw that um no i haven't seen I've been, I've been trying to determine which one i want to see first fire of love or the Werner Herzog movie on the same subject. Uh, Herzog did a volcano movie on the couple as well. Yeah. That, that, that's the focus of uh, Fire of Love. But uh, 
I, I suppose I should see Fire of Love first, actually. It's very well made. It's got access to their archives, and I'm going to guess the Herzog one is more interested in the like volcanic activity part of their work. What's interesting yeah. about the movie that won this award was that uh, it's more about, not more, but it's it's equally about their artistry as filmmakers and like they were okay. doing this like field work studying volcanoes at the same time that the French new wave was, you know, becoming a solidified filmmaking movement. And a lot of their field work recording the volcanic activity is influenced by that style of like filmmaking. So the footage that they have just looks absolutely incredible. And it's shot with like an actual artistry that's beyond just like scientific observation. So I was just really like blown away by the images themselves. And like the movie had like so much archival material to work with. That's, that's sounds superb. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, I, I did want to uh, briefly mention the movie blonde, uh, the Netflix movie, the NC 17 Netflix movie blonde about Marilyn Monroe going through uh, hell. I nominated it in only one category, I, I believe. That was Best Actress at number two for Anna de Armas. Uh, number three was Jenny Slate for Marcel Michel. But uh, number one was, of course, Michelle Yeoh. But number two, I felt like Anna de Armas put in a lot of really great work in Blonde. Uh, and I do consider Blonde to be technically a great film. It, it's not going to make my favorites list, at least not at the top or anywhere near the top. Mostly because the movie's like torture. Right. You know, story in the story and outside of the story, you know, in the audience. Like you're watching it and it's like misery. You know, it's 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 a great film. It's made extremely well, but it's like there there's so many images in it that are burned in my my retinas. Where if I were to think of the movie, those images would come up and I just feel pain thinking about it. like, oh my god, that was such a horrific moment. Did they really have to do that to Marilyn Monroe? Did that actually happen? Or is this, you know, it, it, was, it was kind of a mind mess of a film. I probably won't ever watch it again. Or if I do, it's going to be more like from a uh, picking apart analytical, maybe even commentary mindset. But uh, I felt Anna Darmus was pretty excellent in it, though. Yeah, I like her, but I didn't watch the movie because it just sounded like a, an ordeal more than like a feature film. <laughs> it kind of comes out right out right out the gate as an ordeal. Yeah, you know, I I don't think it's a bad. Like I said, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's it's like Requiem for a Dream. Great movie, but to go through it once feels like an overwhelming journey. You know, like that you just want to take a years long break from. You know. Like I could probably revisit Requiem for a Dream, but it's been many years since I saw it, so I'm probably well prepared for that to watch it again. I mean, speaking of best actor, I'm like very glad the Brendan Fraser. Oh, the whale! Yeah, I'm very glad that did not win the award for best actor. I really did not like that movie, and instead they gave it to uh, Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inisherin, which I think is a pretty good win. Did you even did you like Brendan Fraser in that role? No, I mean it's not really his fault. Like uh, I think it's the material. I I, I don't think it's okay. a particularly great performance. I will say he has like really sympathetic, kind eyes that like almost yeah. gives the movie like a sense of pathos that like works. 
but that's the only thing that works about it. Like I really thought like on a script level, on a conceptual level, on just like the practical um, execution of making him look fatter on screen, just really embarrassing stuff all around. And I think Aronofsky's like career worst. I really hated that movie. <laughs> oh man, that's such a shame. Dude, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Aronofsky. I, I think it fits pretty squarely in the ordeal category with Requiem, which what you were just describing. Uh, okay. It's a very similar yeah. kind of experience. I just don't think it's as good. Okay, this isn't going to be like The Wrestler. <laughs> you know? Well, it kind of <laughs> is. Even on a story level, it's about someone like destroying their body after failing to connect with their daughter. Uh, but I think The Wrestler is like actually like complex drama, and The Whale is like pure allegory and like fake profundity. It just feels like entirely phony in a way The Wrestler doesn't. Well, I think I, I think my experience watching The Wrestler, I associate that with uh, like feeling good. You know, I love watching The Wrestler. I, I, even the, the movie itself, obviously. obviously uh, is a drama, you know, and it, and it's pretty you can grim, it. and it can be <laughs> grim. In fact, it has a, a grim ending, you know, or at least a grim idea of what the ending probably is. And I didn't think of the associations uh, to the whale, you know, the the deadbeat father and the trying to reconnect, destroying the body, that kind of stuff. But still, I, I think it's because I'm a I'm a big wrestling fan. And, uh, or at least it used to be, I, I still, and I think you are too, right? Yeah. I, I watch all the pay-per-views at this point. I don't watch like on a week to week basis. Yeah. I, uh, I think I like the wrestler because it got it pro wrestling. So right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it nailed it. So whenever I watch it, I'm like, oh, wow. This, you know, like I still can't believe they did so, so well, you know? And, and of course I'm, I'm touched by Randy, Randy, the Ram Robinson's story arc, but, uh, yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is that I, even though it's a drama and it's kind of a put-down movie, I'm not put down personally by it when I watch it. I can get through it. It's not, to me, an ordeal in the way that Requiem would be, you know, or right. uh, what The Whale probably is if I were to watch it uh, right now, you know. Well, Banshees is much more um, endearing, and Colin Farrell is very good in it, so <laughs> I'm, mom, I'm cool I can, t- I can tell you, my mom loved The, the, the Banshees. It's very good. Yeah, she was like, uh, you know, this guy, Brendan Gleeson, cuts his fingers off and throws them at him. And, yeah. know, I, was like, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it's a very darkly funny movie. It's got its own allegorical, like, undercurrent to it that he keeps pointing out um, every few scenes. But, like, you don't really need to take it on that level. Like, it's a pretty good friendship drama on the surface as well. And I laughed a lot. It's not one of my favorite movies of the year because it's not really the kind of thing I look for in movies. But like, yeah. I very much enjoyed watching it. If that's the movie that's going to be like neck and neck with everything everywhere on this list, like I think that's a pretty good indication. This was like a good crop of movies this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think this was a every year. There's always at least one critic that says this was a bad year for movies. I don't agree with that. I don't think I don't, there's some years that maybe could be bet could have been better. But I think for the most part, like it just depends on where you're looking and, and how how deep you're looking. One more category I do want to point out is uh, best animated film. The winner was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and the runner up was Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And um, personally, I like Marcel the Shell more out of those two. But like that's pretty good. Like those are pretty great those animated picks, films. Yeah. They're both stop motion in a year where stop motion was like pretty omnipresent throughout. Like from the weirdness of Mad God all the way down to, like, I think 
the two Netflix releases, Wendell and Wild and um, Pinocchio, are both the mainstream choices, and they're both very good and very weird in their own right. So, like, it was a good year for animation. I'm glad to see movies that aren't 3D Disney products on this kind of <laughs> list. I was gonna say Turning Red, but uh, <laughs> which that is, is a 3D Disney product. Yeah, it's a Pixar. Yeah, right. But uh, but it's a great animated film and uh you know but it's good that there's variety it's excellent yeah. that there's variety especially with marcel the shell and mad god you know those two made my animated film list as well you know i was i was like you know those have to be on there that was one where i branched out a little bit and i included inuo because it is like very high on my personal best of the year list and i knew it had no chance of placing on this one <laughs> but uh <laughs> that was one where i was like okay i, I still have to rep for that somewhere yeah, it's a great film, but it's been very inaccessible. Like it came out um, in theaters, I want to say this summer, and it still has not hit VOD or home video in any capacity since then. So it's kind of just like lost in the distribution limbo right now. I, uh, you know, what I nominated for uh, cinematography besides Ambulance was uh, Deadstream. That's great. That's awesome. I, I gave that number three uh, in my nomination. Number two was Neptune Frost. A beautiful film, like really well shot. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I had EO and the Northman and Vortex. Okay. <laughs> Those are all pretty like ambitious, I think, in their cinematography. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I-, I kept thinking when I-, when I was putting the list together that the Northman was going to make it a little higher on some of my awards nominations, but it really only made it on like one or two. Uh, number three on my best adapted screenplay. I think it's adapted, right? It's, it's from the from... same Norse legend as uh, Hamlet is adapted from, so sure. Yeah, 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 okay. That's, I'm pr- I was like, yes, I'm pretty sure it's adapted, right? Hamlet? Yes, okay. <laughs> and uh, I think that was the only place I put it. It seems like a movie that not many people like fully love. When, and, I, and I really liked it myself, but I, I don't have it anywhere near my like best of the year stuff either. I, I think it's very good. Yeah, I, 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 was a bit, I was a fan of it when it came out. I was, yeah. I was like, man, this movie's awesome. But, you know, obviously the more films you see, the bigger the noise I was a little compromised. Like, if you look at his first two movies, they're way more his movies. And, like, that one had more of a major studio feel to it. So it's kind of hard to, like, get behind it um, with That's full good heart. Point. Yeah. That's a good point. Are there any other um, award winners you want to point out before we wrap up? Not really, although I will say that... Uh, I'll be watching Babylon pretty soon, and uh, if if what I'm hearing about it is true for me, uh, I probably would would list it somewhere in my favorites. I don't know how high. It's either going to be so great or so bad. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, like, one, it's, it's one, like one of those one kind of things, and, I, and I'm excited to find out. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited to find out. That one and Avatar really did not screen for most critics before this voting process. And yeah. I wonder how much that skewed the results, because uh, I feel like one or both of those might have snuck on this list if they had screened in time. Probably Babylon. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, not to spoil anyone, I really did like Avatar 2. I rather enjoyed it a lot. However, there are issues, you know, that are very obvious in the movie, like not just... Uh, I don't mean like story-wise necessarily. I mean like about cultures, you know, indigenous cultures and representation yeah. and stuff like that. However, a lot of movies have those kind of problems. It's not that they're not worth pointing out. It's just a lot of movies have those problems. And 
I'm still able to enjoy some of these movies. Uh, I don't know if that makes me a bad person or not. I want to say no, but I could very well be one. But I think acknowledging the problem is still okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Avatar Two knocked me on my ass a few times. Uh, ironically, as my ass was numbing from being seated for th- over three hours, so I, I, I still rather like it. The first hour is kind of clunky. Second hour is really, really technically impressive. Third hour is just like, holy crap, this is incredible. So it, it kind of keeps ramping up, you know, the movie does. I'm much more likely to go see Babylon. Like, I have about as much interest in Avatar 2 as I have in, like, Top Gun 3. Like, I'm just, like, very likely I'll never see it. I probably won't see Top, Top Gun 3 if that ever becomes a thing. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Top Gun 2, while, while I really loved it, was enough for me. Right, you know, right. I was like, okay, that's about as far as I'll take it. <laughs> what else is there uh, to explore up there in the sky? <laughs> <laughs> right. With Tom, well, hey, he's, did, did you see that behind-the-scenes featurette from uh, Top from uh, Mission Impossible, uh, the next Mission Impossible movie, with him doing that stunt where he drives off a cliff. I mean, technically, I saw it, but I didn't click it to watch it. <laughs> I just well, I scrolled saw, right past I, it. <laughs> I saw, I saw the thumbnail. I didn't yeah, watch yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was, it was pretty amazing, like how the the technical aspect of trying to pull that stunt off. Did they have to pull the stunt off? Did they have to take out such insurance claims? Did they have to do all this? I don't know, but uh, I appreciate the effort from Tom Cruise. I just think, like, maybe he's going a little too far. I don't know. That's up to him if he wants to jump out of planes and fall off of cliffs and do crazy shit like that. Uh, more power to him, you know, and more power to the crew that has to put up with it and make it happen. Eventually scrape him off the concrete. <laughs> that would be horrible. I mean, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's well, no, that would still be horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it would be horrible, but yeah, it feels like he's kind of like daring us to watch him hurt himself. He well, when we did Mission Impossible Fallout, he broke his leg that one, oh my one God. scene, and he and it's and it made the movie. It's when he's jumping from building to building, and his leg catches the uh, edge of the, the the second building. It snaps right there. That's that's in the movie for real. Well, in in danger of prolonging this any further, because I can talk about Top Gun apparently all day. <laughs> apparently all day, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> all these movies I could talk about—that's the one I'm like hung up on. You're like, I hated it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We go together like peanut butter and jelly. I do want to reiterate. I think this is a great list of movies. There are three or four movies in the top ten that I don't personally enjoy but I think they all um, add to the overall like quality of the list and like show like a well-balanced film watching diet. Um, and yeah. they're, they're at least all interesting. Like they all have something you can discuss in them. So thank you for including me in this process, nominating me for it. Uh, and, you know, talking to me about these movies today, it was a very fun experience for me. No, this is, it's always great to be on the show. And uh, I was really happy to be able to nominate you for membership uh, in the Sefka and to, uh, expose another local critic to the awesomeness that is award season screeners. Uh, just so many movies to watch. It can be overwhelming, but at the same time, it's uh, it's very rewarding, I think. To reintroduce the word of the day, it was an ordeal, but it was a delightful one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, one more time, Movie Going with Bill is your home base. It's at moviegoing.rocks. It's a great uh, Substack newsletter. 
I look at it all the time. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> and next week on this show, um, we should be talking about the Sight and Sound Top 100 list, uh, the change-ups from this year. Uh, we're specifically talking about the movies that did not make the cut, movies that were formerly on the list and fell off on this latest round. So speaking of contentious lists where we can kind of uh, argue about the minor details of like how one thing got voted as a higher priority over another, uh, I'm sure we'll get into plenty of arguments on that episode as well. Yeah.